Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Anyone will tell you that knows leadership or business or sports, military, that the key to a successful mission, the keys to a successful mission Really just two main things, lots of umbrellas under this, but two main things. One is clear goals that are communicated well. Clear goals and the communication of those goals. And the second tool that goes right with it, after you have your clear goals and communication about what those goals are, are the right tools and the right resources to accomplish those goals. In other words, someone telling you this is what the job is, very clear, and this is how you are to do the job, and here's the resources to do it. And unless there is a clear communication of the goal, what the mission is, and unless there are clear, good, right resources and tools given to do it, that mission is going to fail. You know my um, excellent talent for sports. It's a joke. There, there's no excellent talent there for sports. When I was little, though, I did play for a few little ch- uh, church leagues, um, and it was basketball, uh, I think, among the, th- the three that I played here and there. That the coach had his little whiteboard, and he would bring us over to the side, and he would try his best to communicate to eight- or nine-year-olds, like, here you are, you know, he's drawing the plays out, this is what they're going to do, and, and you're supposed to go around here. And I think around the t- second or third game, you know, as a basketball, little basketball-type player, the coach asked me, like, why are you not doing why, what I'm telling you to do? Like, why are you, Matt, not doing the, the thing I'm telling you to do? Go around here and just, and just be there. And I remember in no uncertain terms telling the coach, Coach, I'm real sorry, but I have to tell you, I don't have any idea what any of that you're writing on that board means. There was a clear communication of the goal here, but little Matt in his little basketball uniform was not getting it, nor would I probably get it even today. Uh, There's a clear communication, but there was a failure to understand, a failure to know exactly what to do, which is why I preach and don't play sports. Not that you can't do both, but it's not wise. As Jesus is about to leave his disciples, he's about to go back to heaven. He's told them, I'm going to the Father, your God and my God. He leaves them with a mission, and that mission is his message, to take his message to the world. He says, this is very clearly what I want you to do. Go and make disciples. Teach them. Baptize them. There's the mission, the message of Jesus. And while they stand here today in our text confused about the mission and the message, Jesus promises them clarity. And he promises them clarity, not that they're going to suddenly come to their senses and understand, but that Jesus promises his own power that will bring clarity to the mission and the message and will give them the power and the right tools to accomplish that mission. Jesus says, 
Here's my mission. Take my message with my power to the world. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, but I'm really only preaching verses 6 through 8. So let's look at all these verses first, and then we'll break it down. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those first five verses here serve as a sort of prologue to the book of Acts. And if you know your Bible a little bit, you know that Luke, the the writer of Acts, is also the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And in both cases, his gospel and the Acts, he dedicates it, to this, dedicates it to this unknown person named Theophilus. Whoever this is, whatever he may be, there's lots of opinions out there. Luke, a historian, a physician, has gone to great lengths and great pains to make sure he has an accurate understanding and account of the life and ministry of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. And now the ministry of the apostles after Christ ascended in what we call the Acts of the Apostles. And he begins in this prologue by telling us that after Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised again, after he ascended to heaven, he gave his apostles a ministry. And in between his resurrection and the ascension, he said, I need for you, disciples, to wait. Wait for what he called the promise of the Father. What promise of the Father? Jesus says, it is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. More importantly, there in verse 5, he calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wait till you are endowed with power by this baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's lots of opinions and lots of different doctrines and theologies out there about what we mean by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is this something that happens to every believer at the time of conversion? We come to faith in Christ, we place our faith in him, we're justified, and he fills us and baptizes us with his Holy Spirit. Or is this, as many Pentecostal and charismatic groups say, is something that happens after conversion? I get saved, I come to faith in Christ, and at some time later, I may experience a baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens? Are there tongues? The classic Pentecostal doctrine is that you receive salvation through faith in Christ, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that the initial evidence of this baptism is, in every case and always, speaking in tongues. Or is it some other sort of miracle? Is it some other sort of signs or wonders? There's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of confusion in churches about what it means to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
But the question I want to pose for you today is very simple. What is Jesus setting up when he says in verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now? What is he setting up? What does he mean? What does Jesus seem to think this baptism looks like? Well, number one, in verse 6, we see a confused mission. Just as there's much confusion about what we mean by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the apostles are very confused as well. Look at how they come to this in verse 6. I mean, here is the resurrected Lord about to ascend in front of their eyes, promising them power from the Holy Spirit, and they ask him in verse 6, Okay, so Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The apostles are still very confused about the mission as well. I mean, it's, it's clarified in their question, isn't it? What is their hope? What are they hoping for in this moment? Well, the same thing that many of the Jews had hoped of their Messiah. If this guy really is the Messiah, now it's time, Jesus, to restore the kingdom, right? To set up the kingdom of David again, to establish his throne and the glory of your people Israel right here, right now, in this place, in this land. Get the Romans out and restore the glory of Israel. That's what's happening right now, Jesus, right? You see where their hope was. You see what promise they were clinging to. And this was typical, as I said, of the Jews of their time. It's why the apostles themselves couldn't grasp that Jesus, their supposed Messiah, was going to have to suffer and die. And how their ears were almost stopped to the news of the resurrection because they were so caught up with this idea. Wait, you're the Messiah, you're the King of Israel, yet you're going to suffer and you're going to die? It's why so many times Peter confronted Jesus and said, that's not going to happen to you. Do you not understand who you are, Jesus? There's so much confusion in their minds, maybe in, in your minds today. They really hadn't grasped, even now, the first thing about the kingdom of God. And it's what Jesus said to Pilate in John 18, 36, when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So the disciples have some serious theological and even political issues, don't they? What even is the mission? How often do we fail to see this same thing? How easy is it for us, even as 21st century Christians, to fall into this way of thinking? Anybody familiar with the term mission creep? You business people, marketing people, mission creep, where you know this is the mission of your business, this is the mission of your group, but somehow over time you lose uh, focus on that mission and that goal, and it becomes any number of other things, and the mission has creeped into something that it is not. How easy is that for churches, denominations, pastors, and believers to do? To lose sight of the actual thing that we've been called to, maybe not even understanding the mission at all. And I can speak specifically for churches. It is so easy for us as churches to get caught up in our stuff, our programs, our committees, our planning, our schedules, the week in and week out, class time, church time, discipleship time. This is what we do because we're Christians. And so as robots, we can kind of find ourselves going just in and out of the place, doing the thing, doing the stuff. 
And before you know it, weeks and months and years and decades pass with churches doing stuff but not doing the mission of God. And instead of communicating clearly to the world in our community about the kingdom of God in Christ, who do we ultimately end up pointing to? Ourselves. Look at our church. Look at our ministry. Look at our stuff. Come see what we do. Come see what we have. Come see what we offer. Instead of being those lower lights along the shore pointing to the light of Christ. Not to mention the theological mission creep that can happen. When we forget the gospel, when we forget that Jesus is central, the Bible is central, and we begin to plug in all other sorts of things into what we stand for as churches and pastors and denominations. And we can get so bogged down, listen church, in all the stuff that we forget what we're even here for. These disciples aren't too far from that. And as much as we want to look at the disciples and shake our heads and say, silly apostles, what is it, silly rabbit, tricks are for kids, silly apostles, you don't get it. We would be shaking our heads at ourselves because we often find ourselves in the same boat. We should today take a pause, a break, just take a step back and listen to Jesus. Hear what he has to say. Listen to the commander. Listen to the coach. It would do us well sometimes to set aside our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own stuff that can so easily cloud our thinking and distract us from what Jesus would say. He's the one that needs to be calling the shots. He's the one that needs to be giving us the mission and the vision. Number two, Jesus goes on to do this. And he gives them a much-needed reminder. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, so Jesus, you've died. That was, that was upsetting. And you were buried. And you rose again. Hey, that's good. That's brownie points. This is good stuff. So now is it time for us to actually do the thing and restore Israel? Is that now? And Jesus reminds them, you're, you're getting into stuff that is, quite frankly, none of your concern. You're trying to develop plans and visions and things that I haven't talked about and that the Father has not revealed yet. And in fact, disciples, Jesus would say, those full plans and all that is coming, uh, you're not owed any of that. It's not for your, your, you to know the times or the seasons, he says, that God has fixed by his own authority fixed. God has established. God has placed. You see that? Not as just something that might come to pass, but something that will in God's time and by God's authority come to pass. And so Jesus points the disciples away from their own planning and visioneering, and he points them to God and his sovereignty and lordship over all things. He reminds them it's God who rules over all things. It's God who governs all things. And I think he would remind them it's not just about things that God controls. All times, all seasons, all people, God is in control.
Ephesians 1.11, Paul says it this way, that God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. With whom, the prophet Isaiah asks, did God consult? Whom did the Lord ask that we should give him wisdom? Paul says in Romans chapter 11, before what we use as our doxology every week, with whom did the Lord need to consult that he should learn something? Who, who gives something to the Lord that he should be repaid? And Jesus reminds them here, God owes nothing to you. And he is in sovereign control and rulership over all things. And you need to remember who he is and who you are. They hadn't yet grasped all that had happened. I think more or less now they viewed the cross and the resurrection as more as just like an obstacle that needed to be overcome in order for them to get on into the real mission, which according to them was the restoration of the physical, temporal kingdom of Israel. But they failed to understand that in the mystery of God's sovereignty, what seemed like an obstacle, the cross, his burial, maybe even his resurrection, what seemed like an obstacle was his actual plan all along. That using the sinful schemes of men to bring about Jesus' death and his crucifixion was God's plan all along. That he should save a people for himself through the blood of his son Jesus. That his burial and his glorious resurrection secured the salvation that he purchased for us on the cross. And the disciples failed to understand this was not some leading up to God's ultimate plan. This was God's ultimate plan. This is God's message. The disciples want to cling to their plans, their ideas. And Jesus very quickly reminds them of who they are and who's really in charge. And the suggestion for the disciples, and maybe for many of us today, is maybe you need to reorient your plans a little. Maybe what you thought was important, maybe what you thought was number one is not. And maybe what's needed in your lives, and definitely in the lives of the apostles here, is to reprioritize the mission and the message of the gospel to its primary first place in our lives and in our minds. It's easy for people, again, I can speak for churches and pastors, denominations, it's easy for us to get caught up into dictating to people what God wants for them. So easy for pastors all around to slip into this. We call it casting a vision, and that's important in a way. But if that vision is anything else than the proclamation of the gospel, then we're missing something. But it's easy for pastors and churches and denominations and groups and individual Christians to get caught up in their own plans and their own vision and their own wills, forgetting this reminder here. Forgetting the reminder that James gives us in James chapter 4, 15. Instead of saying, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to plan for this, I'm going to plan for this. James says, remember, what you ought to say instead is, if the Lord wills, I will do this. Submitting everything to God's plan and God's sovereignty. The disciples merely needed to stop their planning. They needed to stop their thinking. 
and simply listen to Jesus make the mission clear. Perhaps some of you in the room today need to do the same. You need to pause for a moment and just listen to the voice of Jesus through his word. You need to listen for his mission. And maybe you were here today and you'd hear that and think, so what? I just, uh, Jesus is in control and it's his mission and it's his thing, so maybe I just sit back and do nothing. God is sovereign after all, and what will be will be, so what's for us to do? We really just sit back and, and we don't contribute anything to this? Jesus would say, no, far from it. And he goes on in verse 8 to give them this worldwide mission. Number three, a worldwide mission. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples needed to focus on the mission that Jesus laid out for them. They needed to reorient their focus on this mission. But it's an interesting paradox to see that as they focus in on what Jesus is saying, as they zoom in to hear what Jesus has to say, the whole mission actually zooms out further than they could have never ever imagined. Because they're asking, okay, God, is it time for Israel? Is it time to restore Israel now? And Jesus stops them and says, wait a minute. The mission is far bigger than that. Now, here's the thing. Even from the time that God promised Abraham the covenant in Genesis 12, verse 3, it's always been bigger than that. What was the last part of that promise God made to Abraham? In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just Israel. But God's mission from the very beginning has been far bigger and broader than Israel. And he brings that into focus now. And Jesus frames the mission for the apostles as this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now, it's interesting that as you journey through the book of Acts, you see this is sort of the outline for the book of Acts. That on the day of Pentecost, they're gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit falls. They are his witnesses there. And then they're his witnesses in the region of Judea. And then in Acts 8, only because of the persecution of Saul, they're forced to leave Jerusalem. And they go where else but Samaria. And the gospel goes there. And then in Acts 9, the apostle Paul is called, and he and the other apostolic missionaries take the gospel to the whole known world at that time, to what they would have called the end of the earth. And so this really serves as the outline for the rest of the book of Acts, and it serves as the crux and the center of Jesus' mission. Now, they might have been okay with Jerusalem. Apostles, Jewish men, you're going to be my missionaries here in Jerusalem. Great, Jesus. Maybe even Judea. They say, okay, we can, we can deal with that. And also Samaria. And you know your Bibles well enough to know how that would have hit these Jewish apostles. I'm not going to Samaria. <laughs> I'm not going there. It's interesting also that God doesn't send one of the apostles first, does he? He sends Philip, the deacon, and then the apostles. But then he calls Peter to go to the Gentiles and Paul to go to the Gentiles. We see God again and again and again confounding their thoughts about the way things should be 
and sending them where they never thought they would go. I want to remind us this morning as a church and as Christian people in America that we can often fall into what's called the Elijah syndrome, can't we? You remember Elijah? Strong prophet of God, full of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders and miracles, a mighty voice. But then where do we find him? Shrinking back and cowering himself in a cave, hiding from Jezebel. And when the Lord asks him, what are you doing here? What does Elijah say? You remember, oh Lord, I, even I only am left of the prophets of Israel. And God has to remind Elijah pretty quick, like, hey, I know you're great, Elijah, but this whole thing doesn't depend on you. I've got lots of other people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not by yourself. You're not that important. It's easy for us as churches to slip into that way of thinking, isn't it? Americans in the Bible Belt, as if we're the ones holding Christianity together. And God bless us for preserving his church in the world. We need a reminder today, maybe, that the astronomical growth that we see in the church today is not us. It's not the Bible Belt. It's not the United States. It's what we call the global south. Mexico, Central America, South America, Africa, Southeast Asia. What we call the 1040 window through China and the Middle East. You want to talk about astronomical growth in the church and the gospel. That's where it's happening today. We should also be reminded this morning that the mission has always been a global one. This can be challenging for us. I think it would be challenging for anybody. I mean, racism and prejudice and bigotry, I mean, it goes back to the Bible times. I mean, even these holy Jewish apostles have a hard time going to the Gentiles, don't they? And Peter has a hard time going into Cornelius' house. The Bible tells us that through the blood of Christ and the gospel, all those dividing walls are broken down. And we have seen Satan's tactics time and time again, not just in our nation, but around the world that tries to drive a wedge between races and ethnicities and this color and that color and this language and that language. And he stirs people up in anger towards one another and he creates division where Jesus has broken down walls. And Jesus speaks to that here. He says, you're going to be my witness wherever I send you, whatever the people look like and whatever language they speak. You are supposed to go there and minister to them because they will be your brothers and sisters in my family. Can you imagine these men hearing Samaria? The ends of the earth? Jesus, you mean Gentiles? What about Israel? I I thought all this was about Israel, Jesus, the kingdom. Jesus says it's bigger than that. Maybe we today in our station might say, Oh, Jesus, what about America? Oh, what about the Constitution? And Jesus would tell us this morning, It's bigger than that. Love America. Fight for America. This is our home. We're called to do that. But listen, We had hope before America, and we will have hope in Christ after America. And so Jesus tells us, be confident, be strong, and be bold. 
This mission is bigger than you can imagine. So the disciples might say, okay, Jesus, go ahead and do this. Let's see how all this plays out. Let this happen. Jesus says, oh, I'm certainly going to do it, but I'm actually going to do it through you. Not only is my message for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, but you are going to be my witnesses to do it. The Greek word for witness is martures. If you were to see it spelled out, it would look like martyr with a Y-R, and it comes from the same thing. A martures is one who bears witness, is an eye and an ear witness to something that had happened. And he tells these apostles, you are going to go be my witnesses as to what you have seen and what you have heard through my death, my burial, and my resurrection. You are going to take that to the world. The mission to the disciples and to us is not go and make the best sense you can of things. The mission is to them and to us not go do your best, share your thoughts, share your opinions. We might need a reminder this morning that when we share our testimony with people, it is important to share our story. But if we're going to bear witness to Jesus, it is not our story that needs to be told. It is his story that needs to be told. Jesus says, go and be my witnesses. Tell people what you have seen and what you have heard. So that the message going out is not something they have invented. But it's what they've seen and heard in the Lord Jesus. When the Apostle John writes 1 John chapter 1, he begins it that way, doesn't he? These are the things that we have seen that we have looked upon, that we have touched, we are witnesses of this. And what does he say in verse 2? We now proclaim that to you, that you may believe for eternal life. John says we are eyewitnesses, we are ear witnesses. Hear that testimony and believe in it for eternal life. So many churches, so many countless pastors and groups and movements go off the rails right here because they forget the mission as they forget the message. And the message from so many pulpits this morning, unfortunately, is one of politics, one of social issues, one of cultural debates. And in some churches, entire ministries of the gospel have been boiled down to mere, listen, mere material mercy ministries, doing nice things for people. And so as good as it is to be caught up in activism and social work and doing nice things for people, that is not the primary mission or message of the church. Our primary mission and our primary message is to be witnesses to what Jesus has done for us and to call people to faith and repentance in him. And so often what we would label ourselves as witnesses of is a particular party a particular candidate, whatever social or civic issue captures our passion. That's what we want to be a witness of. But we've forgotten that in and through whatever means the Lord makes necessary and available to us, we're to be witnesses to Jesus. Let me ask you this question this morning. Would those who are closest to you Those who know anything about you today, your workplace, wherever it is, would what they say they know about you revolve around Jesus 
and his gospel and his message? Or would it be something else? Would they be able to say about you, oh, I know so-and-so. They love Jesus. They know the gospel. Or they say, I, I don't know much about what they think about church or Jesus, but I know they're really into this candidate or this candidate, and they, they got a sign in their yard after all, and so they, they must be really passionate about that person and that thing and that party and that issue. But yeah, they go to church, I guess. Jesus is important. What would people say about you? We want it to be true of First Baptist Church that we are known above all as faithful to the word and faithful to the gospel. And I wonder this morning if that is true of you. Would those around you agree that is what you're about? Or do we need a reminder this morning of what the mission is? Do we need a reminder of who's in charge and the scope of this mission? The message of Jesus in the gospel to the whole world. Number four, and finally, Jesus gives them a powerful promise. In verse eight, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the end of the earth. Jesus told them, you are to be my witnesses, and this is how you're going to be my witnesses. You wait for what he called the promise of the Father. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 5, he said this, I want you to go wait for the promise of the Father. For John surely baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John the Baptist himself said, I baptize with water, but the one who is coming after me, whose shoes I'm unfit to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus again promises that here. You will receive power. And I asked earlier, what does that look like? Well, what have we seen? Number one, we know it's opposed to men's thoughts and men's opinions. Remember, the disciples are saying, oh, but Jesus, Israel, the kingdom, the thing, my thoughts, my opinions, my feelings. Jesus says, no, 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 it's not for you to know any of that. But he says, but. You see that word but in the Bible, you're seeing a moreover. More important than all the garbage you're talking about right now, disciples. This is more important. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And it will make you conscious of the eternal will of God, the worldwide nature of this scope. And he will use you as witnesses. You want to know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit looks like? It looks like the mission of God going forward with the message of God and the power of God. So much has clouded this idea in our day. We ask, what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit look like? Some would say, well, it looks like speaking in tongues. It looks like Pentecostal experiences, like what we see in Acts. It looks like signs and miracles and wonders. Maybe a church that has been baptized with the Holy Spirit or spirit-filled church, maybe it's just going to be super emotional and super exciting in our services. I had a lady tell me in our church in Nashville one time, she had stopped going to our church, and the pastor friend, who's my best friend, and I went to go talk to her, and we sat and asked her now, Miss Wanda, she's deceased now, so I can talk about her. <laughs> Miss Wanda, now, why have you stopped coming? She said, well, I just don't feel 
what I call the Holy Spirit goosebumps anymore. And that's a question, isn't it? Is that what the baptism of the Spirit is about? Is that what it means to be full of the Spirit? To have goosebumps, an emotional reaction, or whatever it is? What does Jesus say it will look like when they get this power and this promise? What does he say will happen? You will be my witnesses. You will be my martyres, my martyrs. It just means witness. But if you know anything about your Bibles, all these apostles will go on to be actual martyrs. And so will many thousands in the early church. There is the power of God. There is the power of his Holy Spirit. The gospel going forth clearly and fearlessly around the world through those who know Jesus. Pastor, what does it mean for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, it means that you'll be a bold witness for Jesus. That's what it'll look like. Pastor, what does it look like for me to be filled up with the Holy Spirit? Does it look like this thing or this thing? Will this happen to me? Will I feel this? I don't know. Maybe. But I know one thing it will definitely look like. You'll be a witness for Jesus. That's what Jesus promises us here, isn't it? So whatever clouds our thinking on this, let's remove that. And listen to what Jesus says. You will be my witnesses. So today we have a clear mission to take the message of Jesus around the world. We have the right tools, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the question of this mission isn't, is it clear and do we have the right tools? That's yes and yes. The question of this mission today is simply, will we obey? Will we obey? Are you maybe this morning confused about God's mission for you? Is your thinking on this clouded by opinions and what I've always heard and what I've always thought? Is it, is it filled up with yourself, maybe? Do you need a reminder this morning of who's in charge? As Jesus gave those disciples. Do you need to remember really who you are and who God is and maybe submit to him and his will? Maybe this morning you need a world, a reminder of the worldwide scope of this mission. To, to break away from some of the comfort and some of the ease that you expect out of life and out of your neighbors and out of our communities. And remember that Jesus bled for the world and that he's called you to be a witness to the world. Maybe today you need to connect with the power source for this mission God's spirit. And I'm not talking about an emotional experience or Holy Spirit goosebumps, unusual manifestations. All I'm talking about this morning is being a bold witness for Jesus. Maybe you need to reconnect with that power source to be that. I close the day with some words of comfort. The power you need to do this is not in you. And you may say this morning, Pastor, I've never shared the gospel with anyone because I really, I really don't even know what to say. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to begin. I'm nervous. Maybe you need to remember that the gospel is this simple. You're a sinner. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. 
So that if you place your faith and trust in him, you will be forgiven of your sins and raised to live with God forever. I mean, it's the simplicity of the gospel. Anybody can say that. And here's the good news today. No matter how clever you think you are or how great you think your testimony is, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says that the power of this whole thing is not in your wit or your clever ability to speak. It's not in your jokes or your winsomeness or even your friendliness for that matter. The power of this whole thing is in the gospel itself. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The message of the cross. Not you, not your words, not your abilities, but the gospel. Paul says it this way in Romans 1.16, for the gospel that he's not ashamed of is the power of God unto salvation for all that believe. What's the power? My arguments, my debating, my apologetics, the way I can reason out things for people. No, the power is in the gospel itself. I remember having this debate with a person on Facebook, the last one I ever had like this. And I just, this is 10 years ago or so, and I just decided we're going to go back and forth on comments for a long time because that's always a very fruitful conversation. And it just occurred to me, nothing I say and nothing I offer to this guy is going to convince him, let alone on Facebook. So I think the last thing I ended up saying to him was, look, you don't believe this, and nothing I'm going to say is going to convince you to believe this unless the Holy Spirit changes your heart and makes you believe it. So I just stopped. Here's the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. That's what maybe some of us need to do at times. Realize the power is not in us, but it's in the actual words and message of Jesus. Forget the distractions. Forget all the confusion. Here's the power. Here's the mission. Unbelievers, it can be yours today. You're you're sitting there unbelieving, rejecting the gospel, hard-hearted in your unbelief. That gospel is for you today. And the command comes to you, unbelievers, repent and believe the gospel and be saved. And this will be your mission too. Believers, what do you need to focus on today? What do you need to pray for today? One of the most comforting verses in all of Scripture to me is Luke 12, 12. Jesus dealing with his disciples who he's about to send out on their first mission. He tells them, people aren't going to believe you. You're going to be hated. You're going to be ridiculed. He prophesies of a time when they're going to be removed from synagogues and tortured and beaten and killed. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, he says. You know, he says, though, don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to say exactly when you need to say it. There's the power of God for you today, believer. Not in some thing that can happen to you, in some emotional fervor or experience, though that's fine, but let that lead you to that, a confidence and a trust 
in God's power by his spirit to accomplish his mission in you, his witnesses. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the gift of the gospel. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which comes and speaks strength and boldness and power where we can only offer fear and confusion. We love you. We ask this morning that there are unbelievers in here today that you would draw them to faith in Christ. And if there are believers here today who've lost their way, they've lost sight of the mission, lost sight of the goal, and, and fallen into any kind of thing, sin or false theology, false teaching, just gotten away from church, gotten away from the gospel, gotten away from the Bible, I ask this morning that you would convict their hearts and draw them back to you. Remind them who's in charge and what their mission is and what their calling is. And give them power this morning by your Holy Spirit to do it. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.